Now, just in case I was missed the last couple of weeks, you should know that I was out of town. In fact, I was out of the country. Kayleen and I were a part of a group of 20 Crossroads folks who recently returned from a trip to Italy and Greece and Turkey. As together, we walked in the missionary footsteps of the Apostle Paul, and we wound up visiting several of the places that we've talked about in our services the last eight weeks or so through the book of Revelation. I lectured four times to a larger group of 200 or so, and it was a memorable trip in every way. It was inspirational, it was informational, and it was enjoyable. Would you believe in the 60s and sunny every day while it was snowy and in the 20s back here in southwest Indiana. Sorry about that. Now, I know when I'm not preaching for three weeks in a row, someone will speculate, oh, the pastor must be riding off into the sunset. (laughs) Not so, friends. There are too many good things on the horizon in the life of our church. Thank you. You're my favorite service this weekend. Over 1,300 of you have been to our vision nights the past few weeks, and so you know very well that the years between 2015 and 2017 promise to be some of our best. And I don't want to miss out on leading along with our elders and our pastors through this vital season. But as you have also no doubt noticed, we have a very gifted group of young preachers on our team who are mature beyond their years and are most capable of rightly dividing the word of truth. Yeah. Well, today we conclude our nine-week series of messages through Revelation, and your response has been most encouraging as together we have focused on demythologizing or clarifying the content of this climactic and final Bible book. And today we come to the final two chapters, Revelation 21 and 22, where we will see heaven unveiled. I think I mentioned to you that uh, in my growing up years, there was a large colored poster hanging on my north bedroom wall. It was a beautiful sunrise, and it had two words at the very top. It said, perhaps today, and then at the bottom were inscribed the words of Revelation 22.20. The words of Jesus. Yes, I am coming soon. Now that poster served as a perpetual reminder to me that any time Christ could return and God's eternal day could dawn. And I remember many nights I would lie on my side and stare at that poster. And it was the first thing I saw when I awakened in the morning. It was the last thing I saw before I closed my eyes to go to sleep at night. And I'm convinced that that poster caused my most troubling nightmare, and it also inspired my most euphoric dream. First, my nightmare. I remember dreaming that Christ returned, and I stood with arms stretched upward, but I was not rising to meet the Lord in the air. Others around me, my family and my friends, 
were going to heaven, but I was left. And it was a feeling of abandonment and aloneness that I cannot adequately describe. But I also remember dreaming that Christ returned, and as I stood with arms extended, I was lifted weightless through the air into the presence of the Lord, and it was a feeling that I can only describe as the ultimate in joy and peace. Now, I realize that all this is very subjective and may not be all that helpful to you, unless that is you have had a similar experience, and many have, I think. And it's because that all of us know innately that the most important question we resolve, the most important verdict we render in life is whether we choose the destiny that God desires for us, heaven forever in His presence, or whether instead we choose to reject heaven and by default are left with the dark destiny of alienation from God forever in hell. But today, I want to accentuate the positive. I want to eliminate the negative. And so I'm going to try this morning to unveil heaven in Revelation 21 and 22 in a way that will make it irresistible to you now, today. As a younger man, I can tell you that at times heaven wasn't always that appealing to me. Sure, I wanted to go, but just not yet. And it's because I had a, an immature perspective at one time or another. Maybe you've had the same one. It's reflected in the words of Matt Proctor. He wrote, as a kid, my middle picture of heaven went something like this. You die, go through the pearly gates, get your wings, halo, a hymn book, and you join the heavenly choir. And the choir director instructs us all to open our hymn books to hymn number one. And we're going to sing all four verses, no skipping the third verse. And we're going to sing our way straight through the hymn book. And when we get to the end, we'll start all over again at the beginning. Now, to me, that just sounded like one really, really long church service. I like the way C.S. Lewis has thoughtfully responded to this shallow view of heaven in his classic book, Mere Christianity. He says, there's no need to be worried by facetious people who try to make the Christian hope of heaven ridiculous by saying they do not want to spend eternity playing a harp. The answer to such people is that if they cannot understand books written for grown-ups, they should not talk about them. <laughs> All scriptural imagery, harps, crowns, gold, etc., is, of course, merely symbolic to attempt to express the inexpressible. Harp is mentioned because for many people, music is the thing in this present life which most strongly suggests ecstasy and joy. And crowns are mentioned to suggest the fact that those who are united with God in eternity share His splendor and power. And gold is mentioned to suggest the timelessness of heaven. Gold does not rust. And the preciousness of it. And then he said, people who take these symbols literally might as well think that when Christ told us to be as harmless as doves, he meant that we were to lay eggs. <laughs> that's not me, that's C.S. Lewis. 
Revelation 22.20 teaches us to pray, Amen, come Lord Jesus. And we say, yes, yes, but just not now. For me as a young man, I wanted to wait until I got the Mickey Mantle card in my baseball card collection. I wanted to have Christmas with my cousins. I wanted to go to middle school camp first. I wanted to compete in the state tournament. I wanted to go to college, get married, buy a house, have children, travel the world, and then, then I'll be ready. But listen, friends, we must not get that attached to this world, to the exclusion of heaven. We must not forget about heaven because when we do, when we forget about heaven, one of two problems will result. Number one, we'll be tempted to live only for the here and now. So we'll get caught up in intellectualism and materialism and hedonism and careerism and totally forget God. Or just as bad, we'll approach the Christian life with self-centered motives. Church is good for my business or to advance my respectable image in the community. Christianity becomes then a way for me to have a healthier lifestyle, for me to have emotional stability, for me to have a better marriage, for me to have moral children, you see. A.J. Conyers says, the reality of heaven and hell prevent theology from becoming pop psychology. Or if we get too attached to this world and we forget about heaven, we'll surrender to hopelessness because we'll discover shortly that the material world cannot satisfy your soul. You've seen that bumper sticker, no Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. Hopelessness accounts for alcoholism. It accounts for the widespread abuse of drugs and sexual addiction as a means of escape. It also, hopelessness also accounts for the 30% increase in suicide among middle-aged adults in the last decade. P.T. Forsyth said it this way. He said, if within us we find nothing over us, we will succumb to what is around us. So what is there here at the close of the book of Revelation? What is there to energize us, to inspire us to find heaven irresistible today, now? Well, there are three descriptions of heaven that capture the imagination in Revelation 21 and 22, and they are these three. Heaven is a home. It is a city. It is a paradise. First of all, it's a home. Just listen to the home language in Revelation 21, verse 2. Coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. That's home language. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. There's more family talk, more home language. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. The Spirit and the bride say, come, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. The foundation of every home begins with a wedding. 
begins with a marriage of a bride and a groom. And that's why during our worship time this morning, we were singing about that, about the bride and the bridegroom. That's why this final picture in our series from Revelation is a picture of two wedding rings interlocked with each other. That's what we're talking about here, heaven as a home. Revelation 19, verse 7 and verse 9 says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come. The bride has made herself ready. Then the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Only when we get to heaven, only when we get to heaven will we be truly at home. We are not at home in this body. We're going to vacate this body one day. We're not at home in this world. This world will pass away. We're not at home in this life. It will end. So we're not home, whether we like to think we are or not. There's no feeling like coming home after a long absence. Have you been there? Something special about being united with loved ones, especially around a dinner table coming off Thanksgiving. We're keenly aware of that. Some of you are college students. If you come home, you know what that feels like when you're around the table with your family. You know what it is to put in a hard day's work, come home at the end of the day, wash up, and come to the table. And it's not so much the physical house as it is the people. Well, there's a table that is set in heaven, and your name is written on a place card. And Jesus sits at the head of the table. And everyone who's submitted to his love and his lordship will be there. And I'll sit across from my brother-in-law, Bill, who died with liver cancer at age 28. And I'll see my dad there, and I'll see my father-in-law there, and I'll see my good friend Nolan there at that table and they'll all be smiling, radiating the inexpressible joy of the saved. So who will be seated at the table in your eternal home? Samuel Morrison invested 25 years of his life as a widower serving Christ in Africa and he eventually retired from missionary service, returned to America to live out his days. As it happened, he traveled back to the States on the same ocean liner that brought President Teddy Roosevelt back from a hunting expedition in Africa. And the great ship sailed into New York Harbor. The dock where it was tied up was jammed with people. Looked like the population of the entire city had turned out. Bands were playing, banners were waving, balloons were being released into the air, flash bulbs popping, and President Roosevelt walked down the gangplank to thunderous applause and cheers. All this fanfare. While Samuel Morrison quietly shuffled off the boat, no one was there to greet him. He slipped through the crowd. With the crush of people, he couldn't even get a cab, and he had to walk through the streets of New York City. And silently, he complained, Lord, the president has been to Africa for three weeks killing animals, and the whole country turns out to welcome him home. I've given 25 years of my life serving you in Africa. No one even knows I'm here. 
And then in the stillness of his own heart, (laughs) a gentle, loving voice whispered, but my dear son, you aren't home yet. Now, I know the reference to heaven as home doesn't do it for some of you because your home was not stable. It was not loving. It was not accepting. It was not happy. It was not secure. It was not a comfortable place. Your needs were not met. Your burdens were not relieved. Your faith was not nurtured. It was not a place where your spoken and unspoken questions about God were answered. Friends, I can promise you this. Your appreciation for heaven will be greater than some of the rest of us because you were deprived of home in this life. I'm telling you this morning, in your heavenly Father's house are many rooms, and He has prepared one for you. And one day Jesus has promised that He will come back and personally escort you into His home, your final home. So has your life been a series of struggles? Have you been more sick than well? Have you been more defeated than successful? Have you been more tired than rested? Have you been more alone than befriended? Have you been more empty than satisfied? Have you been more hungry than filled? Have you been more discouraged than happy? Look up. Look ahead. Jesus is preparing for you a heavenly home. And just look what he did. Look around you and see what he did with only the seven days of creation. Can you even imagine what 2,000 years of preparation could produce? Heaven is our ultimate home, all of the good things that we associate with home are there. But heaven's also a city. Revelation 21, verse 2, these are familiar words, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. It's shown with the glory of God. Its brilliance was like jasper, clear as crystal. The city was laid out like a square. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold as pure as glass. And the foundation of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. On no day will its gates be shut, for there's No night there. Nothing impure will ever enter it. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, Monday night, I returned from several European cities. And this metaphor doesn't make heaven seem all that appealing to me. (laughs) The city of Rome is crowded with cars and motorized vehicles parked every which way with graffiti everywhere on the buildings and the fences. That's Rome. Venice with its hordes of expressionless people coming and going, pushing and shoving without common courtesy as they move through the narrow alley-like streets. Istanbul 
with the mournful wail of the Muslim clerics calling 17 million people to prayer five times a day on loud speakers that penetrate the silence. It's bizarre with 4,000 shops, vendors and beggars and pickpockets trying to separate you from your money. Cities are noisy with self-assertion. Cities tend to be forgetful of God. Cities tend to be defiant of God. Cities are exploitative and abusive. Have you been watching the news this week to see what's been happening in the city of Ferguson, a suburb of St. Louis, Missouri? Heaven surely should get us away from this kind of thing, don't you think? It ought to get us as far away from the city as possible. I identify heaven with the beauty of a garden. I identify heaven with the majesty of the mountains. I identify heaven with the peace and quiet of the countryside. Haven't we had quite enough of cities on this earth? And Jerusalem, please, I've been there. It's a cramped city, quite without splendor, rude, violent, infiltrated by every kind of belief system that's hostile to the Christian gospel. Jerusalem is perhaps the most unlikely city in the world to compare to heaven. But listen, this is the new Jerusalem. This is not the one that Jesus wept over. This is not the one that Jesus prayed over because of its unrepentance. This is not the Jerusalem of dirty streets and murderous alleys and adulterous bedrooms and corrupt courts and hypocritical synagogues and commercialized churches and thieving tax collectors and angry mobs. Try to imagine a Jerusalem on earth like, like this. All marriages are healthy. All children are safe. Those who have much... Give generously to those who have little. How about this? Israeli and Palestinian children play together on the West Banks, and their children build homes for each other. Imagine a city where in offices and boardrooms, executives scheme to help their colleagues succeed and compliment them behind their backs, where tabloids are filled with accounts of Courage and moral beauty and talk shows feature mothers and daughters who love each other deeply and wives give birth to their husbands' children. No need for Maury Povich and DNA testing. A city where disagreements are settled with grace and humility. And there's no need for doctors and there's no need for lawyers and there's no need for private detectives and there's no need for pastors because there are no diseases and there are no lawsuits and there are no private lives of shame there are no lost people and all the pizza is low fat and low in cholesterol <laughs> and doors have no locks cars have no alarms schools don't need metal detectors police presence, or even hall monitors. And at recess, every kid gets picked first for the team. And churches never split. And people are never bored. 
and they're never stressed. And divorce courts and battered women's shelters are turned into recreation centers and people only speak to each other words of encouragement and affection and no one is lonely and no one is afraid and people of different races value and honor each other and they are enriched by their differences and they are united in their common humanity. Now the new Jerusalem will far exceed any utopian city that you and I can conjure up in our imagination. And in the center of that incomparable community that we can only dream about will be its magnificent architect, its most glorious resident, Jesus the Lamb. It's a celestial city, 1,400 miles long, 1,400 miles high, 1,400 miles wide, a perfect square, not crowded, more than big enough to accommodate us all. And it's light-filled, and it's life-giving. And all those who inhabit this city will constantly bask in the presence of God in a way that we don't know anything about. We only have an inkling of in this life on this earth. But I want you to notice who won't be in the city. Revelation 21, 8 and verse 27, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Nothing impure will ever enter it. That is the city. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So there's no mistrust in the New Jerusalem. There's no one taking advantage of anyone else. There is no exploitation. There is no victimization in this city. So are you irresistibly attracted to heaven yet? Are you ready to go today? It's a home. It's a celestial city. And finally, you ought to know, heaven is also unveiled as a paradise. Revelation 21, verse 4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Revelation 22, 12 and 14, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. I will give to everyone according to what he has done. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city, into the paradise of heaven. Revelation 21 and 22 sounds a whole lot like Genesis 1 and 2, doesn't it? The first two chapters of the Bible, the last two chapters of the Bible, God's people have access to the tree of life. There's no pain, no death, no sin, no curse. We're talking here about echoes of Eden. We're talking about paradise lost, once lost, now, restored, 
The sin-ruined creation of Genesis is restored in the sacrifice-renewed creation of the book of Revelation. And God will be in eternal close communion with the people He loves. And they are the people who love Him. So I want to close with the invitation, Revelation 22, 17. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come! <laughs> Let him who hears say, Come! Whoever is thirsty, let him come. Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. And I wonder if that's you today. I wonder if you need to come today. Don't lose the urgency of this, perhaps today. I wonder if you know someone, you're related to someone who needs to come Two action steps, as I see it, in response to Revelation 21 and 22. The first action step is to make sure that your destiny is heaven. And, and it's not a lot of self-deception, and it's not a lot of inaccurate self-deceit. But it's based on the sure promise of heaven, the sure promise of God. And then secondly, if there is someone that you know, you want them at your table, but there's no place card there for them by their choice so far, that maybe you need to write their name on one of these ornaments and hang it, 1,500 or so different names of people represented on these ornaments around this room we are intentionally praying for these people. We're going to intentionally testify to these people as we prepare for them to take that step of commitment and obedience in Christian baptism the weekend of the 20th and 21st of December. And so we need to act personally or we need to act evangelistically. Will you stand with me for prayer? Father God, I thank you, thank you, Lord, for leading us 18 months ago or so to conceive this series of messages through this very important Bible book. I thank you for the message of Revelation. It is an unveiled message of victory for those who place their faith in Jesus. And Father, we thank you for the opportunity to go deeper in our understanding of these things. And Lord, I pray for those who need to respond to this message of victory by claiming the victory that has been secured in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And so, Father, thank you for taking us to higher places and taking us to deeper places in our understanding in these weeks that we've shared together. Now we pray for your Holy Spirit to move in this place as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.